morning and happy Saturday, you guys. It is Amanda and Baron with Kicking Cancer Cares on KSLM Radio, 104.3 FM and 12:20 AM. Our sponsor for this first half is Odd Mo's Pizza, which is absolutely amazing. And like me, I recently just started uh, dieting, so that Green Monster is still on the list of things I can have. So. They've got healthy options, not healthy options, very, very tasty options. So if you're looking for something to do for lunch or dinner and don't want to cook, definitely go check out Oddmo's Pizza. Nice. Well, See, I... that green monster pizza just applies to everybody across the board. If it you're does. on a diet, if you're not on a diet, if you don't want to cook and you want something good. Yep. <laughs> and the studio's a little less empty, but we have the pleasure of a caller again today. Yes, we do. Uh, so I met, I met Dean, uh, I think it was... About four years ago, Dean, wasn't it, that we, you and I met? I think that's about right. I yeah. don't really remember exactly. Yeah. Well, at the time, Dean was living just south of Salem was when we met. But where are you, what town are you in now, Dean? Well, I'm in a small town called, well, I don't live in town, but I live near a small town, Lexington, Texas. And that's southern Texas? No, it's central. It's about 45 minutes east of Austin. Okay. Okay. Do you love it in Texas? I love it in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can get even more into that when we talk about Dean, but I just want to make sure that we recognize the fact we have a caller. Yes, today. absolutely. Thank you for joining us, Dean. Oh, happy to do so. Well, Dean, I think that you'll enjoy this recap. We always talk about last week's guest, and we had just an amazing guest in the studio last we week. We had Dave Wentz. See, this time I get to tell you who yeah. it was. <laughs> well, you kept wanting to meet Dave Wentz. I did, and it was such a pleasure to actually put a face to such an amazing hero that he is. Um, I know he doesn't like to call himself a hero, but let me tell you what. He is a hero. Yeah, well, because... You probably haven't heard this episode yet, Dean, but uh, Dave Wentz is 70 now, and he was telling us an experience that happened a little over 50 years ago when he was going through POW training camp, and then he goes to Vietnam, and he gets shot down three different times, and he was just telling us this like it happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. It was... Oh, my. Um, and the no fear. He didn't have any fear with all of his situations that he went through. He put his task first before yeah. his own fear. And so that was really intriguing. Well, and the other thing I find that's intriguing, go ahead, Dean, go ahead. Oh, I just said that's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what else was interesting for me, and I, this is probably not news for Dean, um, and I guess we should back up for a second, besides me telling people that, that I met Dean. Dean, will you will you tell the listeners, like, who you are, what you've done in the past, um, what the connection was with you at Kicking Cancer? Well, I can't tell every, the listeners everything I've done in the past because that would take hours. But <laughs> so, but but the connection to Kicking Cancer is that I, I by training I'm an MD and and so uh, I was family practice physician, had my own private practice for many years, um, loved all of that. But also um, during that whole time I was practicing, I also had my own farms and um, sought to grow my own um, nutritional uh, food, both um, protein and vegetables. And so uh, that was that's kind of how uh, Baron and I ended up talking about kicking cancers because of my background, both as a farmer and a physician. And basically, I have 
now pursued much heavier the regenerative farming um, over the last few decades, and I no longer practice medicine, and so I am 100% in the nutritional realm of things rather than in the uh, medical treatment realm of things. And that's going to play heavily into a couple of our shocking facts for you today. Okay. Now I'm really intrigued. Uh, you're really intrigued. Uh, the one thing that's interesting, though, Dean, is Dave had had just this unbelievable story about Vietnam, and, and I would encourage the listeners to go back to the podcast and re-listen to that. Uh, but then it was five years ago that he found that he had testicular cancer, and it was because of Agent Orange. And, you know, as a... Uh, somewhat ignorant, I thought Agent Orange was designed to kill the Vietnamese. It was designed to kill the plants so that we could find the Vietnamese. That was something I learned as well, actually. I thought that it was to, I guess kill I never people. really, yeah, I never investigated what it was. I just, Agent Orange was a, a harsh chemical that it was, was like, used It was in like war. Roundup times a thousand. Right, so I assumed it was against humans, not plants. Yeah. So that was uh, fascinating. Did, did you know that, well. Dean? Did you know Agent Orange was a defoliage? Yeah, it was a herbicide. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for making us feel that much littler there, Dean. Well, that's why I told you when, with his background, he would know that in a minute. But it, unfortunately, the Agent Orange has caused cancer in a lot of Vietnam vets. Dean being one of them, he got testicular oh. cancer. Okay. Was given basically given three months to live, which is when we stepped in as an organization to help him out. Um, it left the testicle area, went into his bladder, uh, went into the the kidney area, he had lost a kidney in Vietnam, so they couldn't do chemotherapy on the one kidney that was left. He was doing a very experimental, um, it was it was a pl- pl- platinum chemotherapy. And then I lost track of Dean, I mean not Dean, I, I lost track of uh, Dave. Dave. And, he, and he wasn't returning emails, he was returning text. And then I ran into him and it worked and he's in total remission. Mm-hmm. He's doing great. So that was last week's story, Dean. That is awesome. That, you know, those stories are always heartwarming and uplifting. Mm-hmm. They well, are. The other thing that we've been doing, Dean, I think you'll appreciate this, what you're doing in Texas, is we're kind of educating the consumers on how to live a plant-based diet. And we've got this book called Plant-Based Diet for Beginners, and then we read a recipe. This week's recipe, uh, for those down in the south where you're at, will love this. This is a cold brew peach iced tea. Oh, yum. Like, everything about that said that sounds good, right? It's so good. I'm ready to take the photo right now. <laughs> and what the book says is nothing is quite as thirst-quenching as a, on a hot summer day as iced tea. But homemade iced teas often turn out overly bitter. By cold brewing this peach tea, you'll be able to avoid the bitterness created by t- uh, tannins. Am I saying that right, Dean? Tannins? You are. Tannins and lots of things, but yes. Mm-hmm. So they're released during the transitional process of seeping tea bags into hot water. So by doing cold brew versus hot water, those tannins are not released and it's not quite as bitter. Okay. Okay. Um, so three ingredients, four ripe peaches, you just slice them up, eight cups of water, and five tea bags. Black, green, white, whatever type of tea you want to use. So in a pitcher, you combine the peach slices, the water, and the tea bags. You place them in the refrigerator and allow the, them to seep overnight. Store in the refrigerator for five days and serve when you want them. Oh, yum. I wonder if you could, like, cut the peaches up a little bit more from, like, I feel like cutting peaches up and just putting it in there won't be as flavorful if, like, you, like, 
can we like blend it and make it a smoothie? <laughs> I'm sure, you can make it a smoothie. <laughs> well, and and from a both from a medical biological side, Dina, as well as from what you know about um, fruits and vegetables, why is this process with tea so much better? Cold brewing versus hot brewing? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh well, I mean, it's a lot of it is for the flavor, but there is some changes that occur when you hot brew something. Uh, and all of what happens, and it depends on what you are making tea from. So it really is dependent on that. I mean, there is some very healthy hot brewed teas also, but in this particular case, yeah, this cold brewed tea sounds absolutely nutritious and uh, flavorful. So I would highly recommend it. I think I might try it. Yeah, I, I'm actually looking forward to making I, this myself. Me too. <laughs> My husband will like it. He loves peaches. Well, one of the things we've been doing on the show, Dean, really since we started doing this show about a year and a half ago, <clears throat> is I kind of stumbled across this, but I brought something in that really shocked Amanda. So we've been trying to bring in some shocking information. And this is a book called Killing Cancer, Not People. Mm-hmm. We would all agree with that, right? Yes. <laughs> um, in the book here, and part of why I want Dean to weigh into this is because just what it says in the book, uh, it says, let me clarify this statement. Good Doctors, hospitals, nurses, and other medical practitioners are vital and necessary. If I get into a car crash and I'm seriously injured, I want the best surgeon, anesthesiologist, and other medical staff that money can buy. Mm -hmm. These trained, educated professionals are a life-saving requirement in our society when needed. Then he says, while doctors are... the pieces of the problem is doctors are trained in disease, diagnostics, and drugs. They study very little about nutrition and how the body reacts and responds to nutrients, water, vitamins, minerals, natural substances. So doctors are trained in not how to heal you, but how to fix a problem when it recur- occurs. Okay. Like a car crash, right? Right. Would you agree with that statement, Dean? Oh, yeah. When I was a medical student, um, I think a fourth-year medical student, um, I I had a conversation with two of my um, professors, you know, clinical professors. One was very into preventive medicine kind of stuff, mostly. Well, he did a lot of treadmill testing, and, and the other physician was having a conversation, and they're both family practice doctors, and... The conversation was one absolutely adamantly believed that physician's job was to let the patient do whatever they want and try to make uh, their problems not be quite as bad with any kind of medicine or help they can do, and prevention was not part of what we should do. <laughs> so it was it was a very in, uh, eye-opening discussion for me because growing up uh, on a farm in um, – kind of uh, that we it was all done organically and everything was done naturally and we were we were never certified but there was never one chemical on our property ever and so I was just naturally drawn towards the preventive side of medicine and so when I was standing there listening to this conversation and it really opened my eyes because the guy that was somewhat into the preventive side of medicine was really the minority opinion as I went through the rest of my um, medical training. But most physicians uh, just felt like, you know, 
it wasn't worth our time and education to um, help prevent diseases, but we just should treat them and let the patient do as they will. Um, and we were just there to help them monitor the problems they created <laughs> so, or treat, monitor and treat the problems they created for themselves. I found that absolutely fascinating and not very encouraging. How, yeah. How old were you when you were going through medical school, Dean? Well, I was pretty young. Let's see. I was, gosh, I uh, started, so undergrad, so let's see, I started at 17, so that, 21, so I was 21 to 25 when I was in medical right. school. So. With, with, and I would guess that you went into medical school with a desire to help people, so that and and being on a farm, yep. you know, when you're younger, that had to be a little discouraging for you for to hear your teachers tell you that your job once you got out with medical school was not to prevent the problem. Well, I'm not very easily discouraged, and I'm not very easily swayed by other people's opinion. I always have my own, and so um, and so I was not discouraged. I was just more uh, motivated to figure out how I was going to um, do what really interest me and really felt like was the right way in the right direction to go in medicine. So, we need more doctors it, I mean, like you. Not that I didn't have struggles to make that happen because that's not how medicine is paid. You know, we do, I do have to pay my bills, but you know, it is. Uh, so there was, um, we're, get, we're paid to make diagnosis and um, hand out prescriptions. We're not really paid to help people prevent diseases in, in their lives. And I think that became discouraging for you at some point, didn't it? Well, yeah, it, it, it there's a, there's a, we, I'm not really here to uh, talk about the stuff that does discourage me about medicine, but yes, the, the paperwork in the direction of medicine really wasn't uh, really uh, for my personality and my goals in life. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you've got a question, Amanda. No. <clears throat> nope. Okay. Well, the other part in this book, Dean, I thought was interesting, is he says, <clears throat> he says, here's the problem. We trust our doctors and our, the pharmaceuticals to heal us when they really have no ability to do so. Contrary to popular belief and hope, drugs don't heal people, neither do doctors. Your very own body, in fact, has been endowed by the Creator. Now, this is not a religious book. This is just a statement the guy makes in the book. Right? He says, your very own body has been, in, uh, been endowed by the creator with an amazing weapon. It's called the human immune system. Mm -hmm. And yet he says, contrary to popular belief, drugs and doctors don't heal people. Yeah. Oh, oh I agree with that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the immune system is one, and even to this day, when we have all this amazing research and we, we know a ton, you know, medical research is going on all the time and sometimes it's misdirected by, you know, the people who have the finances to direct it, but it, we don't know a ton about the immune system. I mean, there's immunologists, but, you know, their concentration isn't necessary to deal with the immune part of our bodies that actually prevent illnesses, lots of times uh, the immunologist is dealing with trying to help our body deal with allergens or things that cause us symptomatology on a frequent basis rather than things that we don't feel or see most of the time because things that disease states that the 
immune system that is fighting all the time, they take decades or years at least to develop. And so in their asymptomatic, i.e. you don't know or have any sensation that they're occurring. So, so it's, the immune system is fascinating, you know, and people hear words like, you know, um, you know, antioxidants and all that stuff, and all that plays a part in the immune system in things that you can do. And, I mean, there's so much, uh, you know, stuff around the immune system. You, you know, you spin around three times and, you know, make sure you sprinkle a little um, green tea on your forehead and then you'll have better immunity. I mean, it's just, it, it's so, people are always trying to make their immune system stronger, but the reality is, that I absolutely believe that nutrient-dense food is really the key element to making our immune system stronger and therefore preventing a lot of the illnesses and diseases that we all struggle with. Yeah, I would very much agree with that. And you are not in the studio, but Amanda is vigorously shaking her head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. Yeah, we got to feed it. Yeah. The other, the other thing I thought intriguing in this book is <clears throat> this is actually a quote from uh, a doctor and it's from a study that was done by the Journal of Clinical Oncologist. Okay. And it was done in 1987. So it's a little while ago when they did right. this, right? And, uh, and the person says, another disturbing fact about chemotherapy is that the majority of specialists who prescribe such drugs would refuse to take them if they or their families had cancer themselves. So I'm a doctor who gives prescribes you chemotherapy and they're saying based on the study that most of them wouldn't take it themselves interesting 81 percent of cancer specialists would not consent to a drug trial due to the ineffectiveness of chemotherapy and its unacceptable degree of toxicity that's what came out of that report in 1987 wow yeah and honestly you know i think that is absolutely true um and that most doctors wouldn't want to succumb to the side effects of chemo. Um, certainly back then, chemo was less targeted. Chemo was less refined. It was, you know, basically taking a bazooka or C4 and trying to blow up, you know, cancer as best you could, and hopefully something would survive out of it so the human would still be a human. You know, so, um, you know, obviously technology has advanced since then, and I don't, it would be interesting to see uh, what the, uh, oncologists surveyed now if the percentage would be a significant lower and I'm sure it depends on the cancer treatment. The problem with talking about cancer in one big um, lump sum is that gosh their cancer is so different from one another. It's like saying you know you have a you have a virus or you have an illness. Well yeah but it's there's so many different variations of cancer and treatments, and people are getting much more specific in their treatment protocols. Not that I advocate any of that, um, but I don't uh, dis, uh, disregard the fact that people can be helped, too. I, w- I just emphasize, the again, the nutritional aspect. And, and, and I just, you know, just so the audience knows, I know that um, a lot of cancer conversation um, for you know, treat, you know, the diet for while you're taking cancer treatment, the diet to prevent cancer is around plant-based. But I absolutely also believe that you, it's not a necessarily just a plant-based thing. Cause I believe it's so much that it is, um, you can have animal protein 
and and even significant amount of animal protein. It just has you have to be just very careful that you are eating animal protein that comes from a hundred percent plant based diet rather that a grass green healthy diet that is not filled with grain because if you understand ruminant science, whereas most of our animals that we eat are from ruminants, um, that the bacteria within that rumen produces what nutrients go into the meat or milk, et cetera, that is given or to their offspring or given to us. Um, so the, the whole fact of nutrition becomes, when people try to make it so easy and simple, just eat more oranges. Gosh, I'd rather eat um, free-range eggs all day, every day, than oranges sprayed with chemicals and then eating them. And so it, um, it's, it's just because I believe that that free-range egg probably has a lot more antioxidants, um, um, phytoproteins, um, um, all kinds of other health um, benefits from it than an orange that's raised in a chemical depleted, a mineral depleted soil that hasn't had any, you know, um, organic matter placed on it in decades, I would just say, I'd rather have that free range egg any day. So anyways, those are, and I remember the the, the day I met you, Dean, um, and Amanda, he had, he was south of kind of where the Enchanted Forest is, south of Salem, and okay. just an absolutely beautiful piece of property out there, and it was the first day I met Dean, and so he knew kind of who I was and what we were trying to do, and he says, I just want to clarify, are you advocating to be vegans? And I said, no, we're talking about from plants, but not vegan. He says, oh, good, because, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Dean, but he basically said that you, if you're going to eat, if you're going to eat meat, eat meat to these plants. Mm-hmm. Make sure that the meat you're getting is from the plants, that because what you eat is what you know. And and so I remember Dean, you told me that, yeah, go out there and get those free range chickens. Make sure they're out wanting to feel that they got some good food coming to them too. Yeah, well, it, it gets for me because I'm a scientist and I I nerd out on all the stuff. It even goes deeper than that, and that is a meant to be a pun plus also the truth is that it is really in the soil. You can eat organic stuff. You can eat free range, but if they're running around, free range chickens are running around on a uh, herbicide, uh, chemically fertilized pasture. I don't really want to eat those eggs either because that depletes all the microorganisms that live in the soil. Really, our health is so tied in with the health of our soil. But when we end up talking about nutrition and we give nutrition recommendations and we give um, dietary recommendations. We don't ever tell patients or clients or whoever that make sure that all the food you eat comes from the healthiest soil you can possibly have. And because most people have no clue how to even go about doing that or how to even obtain that or how even how to, you know, a consumer selected process in making that happen. Because that's why when people do research on, hey, this diet does prevent colon cancer, this diet helps reduce, um, you know, uh, breast cancer, you know, well, in, but there's other studies that showed no conclusion. It's cause, just because you choose, again, let's apples test, who knows, you know, every person, every place that did the study chose apples from a different soil that some maybe were healthy, some was not healthy. There's a study that was done that just really, I love to share that just because how 
and it just emphasized how important it is that you know where your food is coming from. And there was a study that was done that there was some apples that were stored um, from this farm from decades ago. And I, it, I read this about 10 years ago, and so the decade is vague in my mind, but I think in the 60s. And then that it was pretty naturally run, and then that um, study was done like 40 years later, and they took frozen apples from 60s and tested the nutrient density of the ones that were just harvested that year. And there was 30 to 40% less nutrients in the current apple from the same orchard. Okay. And so it's just, to me, the complexity of what we talk about, people try to simplify it so much by saying, well, just eat more this or just eat more. And I say, yeah, maybe it depends on where you got that, Mm -hmm. you know, or You know, if you eat this, you're going to get cancer. Well, maybe it depends on where you get that. I really still believe um, I've done nutrition talks where I hold up two steaks that look pretty the same. And I said, well, you see any difference in these? And they say, no. And I said, well, this one will kill you and this one will save your life. And um, and people just kind of, what? I like to start out conversations like that. Because well, let's it, um, hold, hold, hold that thought, Dean. Hold that thought. We're running close on time. Yep. We're going to take a quick break. Again, a huge shout out to our sponsor for this half, which is Odd Mo's Pizza. Make sure you guys go down there for lunch or dinner today and show them some love and support. And we'll be right back after these messages.